I hope that you will join me with an open Bible as we look together at 2 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. What we see here is King David continuing to show the kindness of God. In chapter 9, we saw how David extended that kindness to a descendant of his former enemy, King Saul, Mephibosheth. And we saw how that kindness was received. It was a risk to show that kind of kindness to someone who had every other reason to despise David and to resent David. Yet David was generous in showing God's kindness to him, and it was received gladly and joyously. But when we come to chapter 10, we see David trying to extend that same kindness outside of Israel. And this time, it backfires and blows up in his face. And I wonder if that's ever happened to you in your life. Have you ever tried to be kind? You've tried to do the right thing, and it blows up in your face, and you you think, why did I try to do that? Why did I put myself out there? Why did I take that risk? Well, that's where David is in 2 Samuel 10. And this is a timely word for us as we continue to face the challenges of 2020. Because we're living in a time where everyone is distrustful and suspicious. Good faith is virtually non-existent. We tend to see the worst in our opponents and those who see the world differently and who think differently and vote differently. We are deeply distrustful as a society, as a country. And this scripture shows us by the power of the Holy Spirit why it is worth it to still show kindness, the kindness of God, the same kindness that God shows to sinners like you and like me day in and day out. And so I hope that through this message, you are more convinced that this is worth the risk. It's worth the risk. And I hope that you are better equipped on the other side of this message to show that kindness wherever you are, even to people who see the world very differently than you do. But we need to remember this truth. Reaching out in kindness always carries the risk of rejection. Reaching out in kindness always carries the risk of rejection. It is always possible when you mirror God's character and God's heart for other people that they might reject it and it might backfire and blow up in your face. You need to know that. But we also need to remember that God has called his people to take the risk and to entrust the results to his sovereign hands. He calls us to take the risk and to entrust the results to his sovereign hands, come what may. Leave the consequences to God. Be obedient. Act as God has called you to act. So what does that look like? Well, let's read together uh, 2 Samuel 10, verses 1 to 2a. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son, Hanun succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. 
So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning his father. What we see in these verses is kindness extended. Kindness extended. And let's notice just how radical David's actions are here. He wants to show kindness, the same kindness, the Hebrew word chesed, that he showed to Mephibosheth, a descendant of Saul. He wants to now extend that same kindness, that unmerited favor and mercy to the king of the Ammonites. Who are the Ammonites? The Ammonites are a nation to the east of Israel, east of the Jordan River, and their neighbors of their cousins, the Moabites. Both nations, the Ammonites and the Moabites, were descended from Lot, Abraham's nephew, and they were a continual threat to Israel's existence. And God explicitly lays down a curse upon the Moabites and the Ammonites because Not only did they not show kindness to the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, they didn't give them bread, they didn't give them water, they ignored them. They also tried to send a prophet named Balaam, you read about this in Numbers 22, to bring a curse on Israel, and yet God turned that curse into a blessing for his people. And then we read in Judges that these same Ammonites tried to oppress Israel. And they did that for at least 18 years along with the Moabites. So those are the very people to whom David extends kindness. You also notice that he says, I'm going to show the kindness that Nahash, the father of Hanun, showed to me. And we're not told exactly when Nahash showed this kindness to David, But we know a few things about Nahash. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 11, we read about how Nahash laid siege to Jabesh-Gilead, an Israelite city. And we read of just what Nahash intended to do to them in verse 2. I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you, and so bring disgrace on all Israel. So, not a nice dude, right? That is the family to which David wants to show kindness. This is also radical because typically a transitional period in a nation from one king to the next was a moment of weakness for that kingdom. And so if David's intentions were to expand his kingdom, if he wanted to conquer more territory, well, this would be a prime opportunity to take advantage of this moment. Uh, You have a transition from one king to the next, and yet that's not what David chose to do. He chose to show kindness. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Well, he's modeling his kindness after something that has been shown to him by Nahash. But remember, a key element of this kindness is that you don't have to show it. This is something you do out of the goodness and generosity of your heart. David is under no obligation to extend this kindness, and yet he does. Why? Well, probably it's because David is 
seeking a reset in Israel's relationship with the Ammonites. He's trying to be a good neighbor. He's trying to act in good faith. He's giving the Ammonites the benefit of the doubt to say, I want peace with you. I have no ill will toward you, and I'm sending a delegation to express my sympathy, to express comfort to Hanun, your new king. This is radical, and David does it because he wants to be a peacemaker. And the question for you right now, and for me, is this. Would the people who interact with you on a regular basis describe you as a peacemaker? Would they describe you as a person of goodwill and good faith? or not. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are people who seek peace, who want peace, who love peace, because they reflect the heart and the character of God their Father. And the children here, these are not all the children of the world, these are the blood bought, born again, redeemed children of God who only have that status as a result of what Christ Jesus has done for them. And if you have received what Christ Jesus has done for you on the cross and making atonement for your sins, and if you have received the Holy Spirit, the very life and presence and person of God in your life, well, you're going to be a peacemaker. It's not something you have to do. You are so thankful and you are so joyful that God has brought about peace in your life when you didn't deserve that, that you can't help but want to be reconciled to other people, even people like the Ammonites, even people that you would have every reason to be bitter toward and angry toward, and people you would want to avoid. Are you known as a peacemaker? Are you known as someone who loves the common good and tries to be a good neighbor or not? That is a distinguishing mark of someone in whom God has been at work. Be honest with yourself. Let's see how David's message is received, the second half of verse 2. When David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite commander said to Hanun their lord, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanun seized David's envoys, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments at the buttocks, and sent them away. I bet you didn't know that was in the Bible. David's good faith is rejected. And so we see here kindness rejected, roundly and soundly. And why is it rejected? It's because these Ammonite nobles or commanders, these advisors, come to Hanun and they say, do you really think David, the king of Israel, 
has good intentions in sending this delegation? Don't you know? Can't you see right through this? Don't be naive, Hanun. He sent this delegation to spy out our land. He wants to conquer us. He wants to overthrow your kingdom. You can't let this happen. They assume the worst. And in so doing, they fulfill what we read in Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And so we see as these Ammonites are conspiring and plotting against God's chosen king, that in the background, the Lord God Almighty is laughing at their foolishness. That they think that somehow they can outsmart the king of Israel, and therefore the God of Israel. But their plotting and their scheming is all in vain. But they don't know that. They think that they have the perfect plan. And at the most fundamental level, what they're trying to do is seize control. They want control over Hanun, they want control over their kingdom, and they think that if they can eliminate this threat, well, then they're in control of their lives. And underneath that, even, is something that is deeply at work in you and in me, and it's our pride, our pride. And it's as old as the human race. We see it in the very first chapters of the Bible with Adam and Eve, tempted by the serpent. As the serpent says, did God really say that? You won't die. You can eat that. Doesn't it look good to you? Take it. And so she did. And her husband went along willingly Because we think we know best, and we think that we can control our destiny. And we think that we can somehow hide from this God, that somehow we can scheme, and we can plot, and we don't realize it's all in vain. Consider Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. The people get together and they say, you know what we should do? We should build a tower to heaven. We will make a great name for ourselves. Wouldn't that be great? And yet, God confuses their efforts, and he shows that all human scheming, driven by human pride, in the end comes to nothing. But oh, we think we're so smart. We think we can hide from this God. We think that we can escape his notice, but we can't. But this also raises the issue for us. If this is how the world is, If this is what it looks like to have kindness backfire and blow up in your face, 
well, why take the risk of doing anything in good faith? Why, why make yourself vulnerable to this kind of thing? Remember the words of the Lord Jesus as he sent his disciples out. He says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent or gentle as doves. Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What does he mean? To function and to show kindness and to take this risk that we see in David and reaching out and showing kindness even to people like the Ammonites. We need to understand, on the one hand, that we do live in a fallen world and that everyone is a sinner from birth. We are all guilty before a holy and righteous God. And no one, no one measures up to the only perfect human being who's ever lived, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not your spouse, not your children, not your neighbor. No one is Jesus in your life, so don't expect them to be Jesus. We live in a fallen world, and that means we need to be discerning. Be prudent. Be shrewd. Don't be naive. Expect this from people. People will let you down. Don't be shocked when people let you down. They're going to. But at the same time, we cannot afford to be paranoid. We cannot afford to be unduly suspicious. So on the one hand, be prudent. On the other hand, don't be paranoid. It is okay, it is good to step forward and to act in good faith. And the more you are convinced that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God will triumph over any opposition, the more freed you will be to act in good faith. And you will be able to say, yeah, even if somebody wrongs me, Vengeance belongs to God. That's not my place. My part is to be obedient. My part is to show kindness, to extend the same kindness that God has extended to me, a sinner. I'm going to extend that to others. Who am I to withhold that when God has told me to be merciful and generous with what he's given me? But not only is this kindness rejected, they seized his envoys, shaved off half of each man's beard. What we need to understand the background here is an Israelite man's beard is a sign of his dignity. And to shave off half of it is to insult him. Now, you don't have to live in the ancient Near Eastern culture to know this. If somebody went around with a half-shaved beard now, well, we would think that looks ridiculous too. But back then, this is an affront to this man's dignity as a person. He is being shamed. And they don't stop there. Then they cut off his garments. 
at the buttocks, midway, so that his private parts are now exposed, and he has to walk away showing his private parts. This is ultimate humiliation. But it's not only humiliation for these envoys. It's also an affront to the king who sent them, David. This is Hanun and the Ammonites saying to David, we spit upon your offer. We don't trust you. We know you have ill will toward us. So have your delegation back. David sent the delegation, and notice at the end of verse 4, Hanun sent them away. Rejected. Now we look at this and we say, well, how dare they? How dare they? Of course this is wrong. But remember, before a holy and righteous God, we should be able to see ourselves here. Every day that you continue to have life, every good thing that you have in your life, every blessing comes from our good heavenly Father. But so often we ignore those blessings, we take them for granted, we take life for granted, and we can even despise God. God, is this it? <laughs> is, is this all I get in life? I, don't I deserve more than this? Why did you allow this pain or this hardship to come in my life? I deserve better from you, God. Have it back. Have it back. If you don't see yourself and your own guilt before God in response to the generosity of his kindness and his mercy, then you don't really understand the kindness and the generosity and the mercy of God. We are all guilty of spurning God's love for us. We have all rejected God's kindness and therefore we are due God's judgment just as much as the Ammonites were due the judgment that ultimately would come to them. Let's see what David does next in verse 5. When David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. The king said, Stay in Jericho till your beards have grown, and then come back. When the Ammonites realized that they had become obnoxious to David. They hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth Rahab and Zobah, as well as the king of Maacah with 1,000 men, and also 12,000 men from Tob. Now, we might expect David to be offended by this, and no doubt he was, but notice his first response is not to exact revengeance against the Ammonites. His first response is to send messengers to meet his men. And so we see here kindness redirected. Kindness redirected. David's first response after his act of kindness backfires and blows up in his face is not to say, all right, that's it, Ammonites, I'm coming for you. His first response is to bind up the wounds of those who have been humiliated, those who have been hurt 
And in so doing, David reflects God's heart in his life and the character of God. As we read in Isaiah about the Lord's servant, Isaiah 42, verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. The Lord's servant, symbolized in part by David and ultimately by the Lord Jesus, is someone who will not break a bruised reed. What is a bruised reed? Someone who is wounded, so, someone who is hurt, who feels the weight of humiliation, who knows their sin, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. David is a king who looks after those who are brokenhearted. And if we are to take the risk of showing the same kindness that we see in David, we need to remember when our kindness is rejected by some, it will be received by others. How do we know? Look for those who are hurt. Look for those who are in pain. Look for the brokenhearted, and you will find them. It's been said about preachers that if you aim for a broken heart, you will hit one. I know that any time I get up to proclaim the Word of God, there is someone out there who is overwhelmed by life and who is hurt, who is wounded, who is brokenhearted. And even if others reject this message, I know that there is someone who needs to hear a soothing word from the Lord God Almighty to know you are not alone. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, God's mercy and God's grace is available to you. Hear the good news. This is a God who will not break a bruised reed and who will not snuff out a smoldering wick. Well, that's one response. And I urge you to be on the lookout for those people in your life. They're all around us. But we see a different response with the Ammonites in verse 6. When they realized that they had become obnoxious, literally a stench, they knew that they had offended David. So what is their response? Do they come pleading their case to David to say, oh, we're so sorry. We meant no ill will. No, they dig in their heels and they start to rally and to hire mercenaries to fight on their behalf. They go north to the Arameans, the Syrians, and they recruit more warriors because they're preparing to fight. They're digging in. And what they don't realize is that in digging in, they're actually digging their own graves because the one they have chosen to resist is the Lord God Almighty's anointed. As we read in Psalm 2, verse 7, He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, 
and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. They don't know it yet, but they're about to be dashed to pieces like pottery. David's kindness is redirected away from them. They've, they've rejected the kindness of God expressed to them through David. They turn to the Syrians. David redirects his kindness to those who are hurt. But they redirect their response to those who are even more opposed to Israel. What is your response to God's offer of kindness today? Are you with David pursuing the wounded, or are you with the Ammonites desperately grasping for control of your life and your destiny? I pray that we would be with David. Because remember, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. As we read in Romans 2, Verse 4, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? He's talking to you and he's talking to me. Do you show contempt for what he has made available to you? His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. If you've experienced the mercy and the goodness and the kindness of God, realize that has a purpose. Will you repent and say, God, I don't deserve this. God, I am so grateful for what you have done for me. But if you reject it, hear Romans 2 verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. The Ammonites are storing up for themselves God's wrath. But in their case, they don't have to wait until the day of God's wrath, till the judgment day. They experience God's wrath against them far earlier. Don't reject. Don't ignore God's kindness. Don't delay in giving thanks for it and receiving it with everything that you have. Don't be foolish like the Ammonites and store up wrath for yourself and digging in your heels and resisting God and refusing to submit to God and his chosen king, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're digging your own grave. All the blame lies at your doorstep. You can't blame God. Because here's what we see next. Begin at verse 7. On hearing this, David sent Joab out with the entire army of fighting men. The Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance of their city gate, while the Arameans of Zobah and Rahab and the men of Tob and Ma'akah were by themselves in the open country. In verses 7 to 8, we see kindness vindicated. Kindness vindicated. Notice the sequence and the key word sent. sent. First, David sent a delegation to express sympathy, to extend kindness. 
that offer being rejected, he then sent messengers, verse 5, to meet the men who had been humiliated. And when that in turn only results in more antagonism and conflict, notice the next sent, verse 7. David sent Joab. Who is Joab? His general. Now, David has no other alternative but to prepare for battle, to wage war. Now he sends his general. Now he sends the entire army of fighting men. Not because he wanted to. He didn't ask for any of this. But he sends them out as a defensive measure to protect his kingdom, to protect the people of God from their enemies. And spoiler alert, it's not going to end well for the Ammonites because it doesn't end well for anyone who tries to plot against God or against his anointed king. And it won't go well for you if you continue to refuse God's offers of kindness in your life and his mercy and his grace. Jesus taught this truth with a parable. And notably, he also keyed on the word sent. Hear this parable. Mark 12, verse 1. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, and some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him, last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Do you see echoes of Hanun and the Ammonites here in Mark 12? Just as David sent one after another, culminating in Joab, so also Jesus says, the master of this vineyard, sends one messenger after another to collect what is rightfully his. It's his vineyard. He planted it. He put the wall around it. He built the watchtower. It's all his. And he's coming to reclaim what is rightfully his. But the tenants, those who have been caring for it, think that it's actually theirs and they can do as they please with it. 
And so he finally sends his son, whom he loved. Surely they will respect my son. And yet, even the son is killed. See here the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even though you and I, on a daily basis, are guilty of rejecting God's kindness and mercy for us, even though you and I, on a daily basis, are guilty of sending Jesus to the cross, no, you weren't there, no, I wasn't there, but our guilt is the same as if we were there, because it was your sin and it was my sin that made it necessary for Jesus to be sent out of God's love. Even though that is our predicament, God is still kind and merciful. And right now, in this moment, He is saying to you, Receive my Son. He is your only hope. He is your only salvation. This is it. There's no plan B. There's no plan C. He is it. Either receive Him or reject Him. There's no neutral ground. There's no in-between. Don't delay. And I'm pleading with you right now, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you haven't done, receive the Lord Jesus for who He is. Your Savior and your Lord. And if there is any stirring in your heart right now that says, maybe it's true. I do deserve God's judgment. I need to be saved. And Jesus is the only one who can do it because only Jesus died in my place on the cross. Only Jesus has been raised to new life. Only Jesus is the one who will return one day as the master to reclaim the master's vineyard. Maybe it's true. If there is any stirring in your heart right now, don't put it off. Don't reject it. Receive Jesus as Lord. Confess him as Lord and commit your life to living for him until the day you die. Your whole life, everything you have, you're merely a steward of that. You don't own that. It's all God's. And one day, the Lord Jesus will return to reclaim what rightfully belongs to the Father. And on that day, the entirety of your life will come down to what you say about Jesus. So do you know him as Lord and as Savior? I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would, and that this would be the day of salvation for you. And if you believe that Jesus is your Savior, I pray that you would be generous in taking the risk to extend that same kindness to others, the same kindness that Jesus has demonstrated for you, a sinner. Yes, it is a risk. Yes, people may reject it. It may blow up in your face. It may backfire, but it is worth the risk because we are promised that God is faithful. He will never, ever let you down. He will always, always do what he has promised to do. And in the end, his kindness will be vindicated. No one in the end can say God was unfair to them. He sent Jesus. How much more do you want? <laughs> he offers you his grace. How much more do you want? His kindness will be vindicated. And that means 
we can take the risk of extending that kindness even to people like the Ammonites, even to people who are completely different from us, knowing good and well it may be rejected. And we can entrust the results to God's kind and sovereign hands. May we do so by the power of the Holy Spirit starting today as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are so kind. You are so gracious to sinners like us. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve any of it. And yet, Lord, you persist in trying to get our attention and calling us and saying, here I am. And so I pray, Lord, that however much we may have been putting that off, to the extent that we're trying to hide from you or run from you or ignoring your presence with us and around us, I pray, Lord, that that would stop today, that we would look to you as our Savior, that we would trust you because you have proven yourself to be trustworthy. And may we do that come what may. And by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us and through us, may we be generous in extending that same kindness and mercy to others. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us in the service of worship. If you have any questions or ministry needs, be sure to reach out by email. We hope to see you again next week.